Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Without a motive, a case, even if solved in the eyes of the court, can remain a mystery. On April 21st, 2009, a woman had her sentence upheld in a case that, up until this day, she swears she did not commit. A case that, despite having no motive, is a closed case in the opinions of many. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In the summer of 1998, the people of the Sanobi district of Wakayama, Japan, much like the others in the country, gather to celebrate the Matsuri, a summer festival that is meant to bring the community together, unite them with shared food, and celebrate their togetherness. At this particular celebration, held on July 25, 1998, Chairman Takatoshi Tananaka asked a Mr. Kagawa and his wife to surrender their yard for the festivities while members of the local women's association divided up the cooking responsibilities. 
Soon, the tables were covered in traditional Japanese cuisine. And as everyone started digging in and filling their plates, Mr. Kagawa's daughter, 34-year-old Mengumi, took note of how delicious the spicy Japanese curried rice was. Hours later, Megumi was vomiting up the entire potluck as news started to spread of a sudden illness that seemed to be plaguing everyone's home. As ambulances started to show up and shuttle various members of the community to the local emergency rooms, doctors at the scene surmised that, since everyone at the festival ate pretty much the same meal, that something prepared that day must have given them food poisoning. However, that diagnosis quickly changed when the symptoms started to more closely mirror not an average everyday bout of food poisoning, but the way a body reacts when it ingests cyanide. In total, 70 people were in the hospital with symptoms of cyanide poisoning. And soon enough, Takatoshi Tananaka, along with his deputy village head, Takake Tanaka, 10-year-old Hirotaka Hayashi, and 16-year-old Mayuki Tori, gave into their illness and perished while in the hospital. The one thing that all of the ill and deceased members of Sonobo neighborhood seemed to have in common, their indulgence in that delicious curry served at the festival. By the time local authorities had figured out what meal made everyone ill, the community of Sonobo and Japan itself was in a complete state of shock. Hordes of police and, of course, journalists descended upon the neighborhood desperate to know who was dangerous enough to sprinkle, as they now realized, not cyanide into the pot of curry, but powdered arsenic, enough to wipe out more than 100 potential victims. For two months, police carried out an investigation into the tainted meal, as rumors, some more damning than others, started to swirl all around the community. However, from the very beginning, everyone seemed to draw a suspicious eye to one family in particular. The one that occupied the biggest house in the neighborhood, 37-year-old Masumi Hayashi and her husband Kenji. Masumi and Kenji kept mostly to themselves, which in a village like Sonobe was not the norm. They also said that their wealth made others in the neighborhood uncomfortable, considering them selfish, and Masumi was known to honk the horn of her BMW when others got in her way, and threw their trash in the nearby river. According to a witness, they saw Masumi standing near the curry the day of the festival, and claimed she had easy access to arsenic through her husband's work as a former exterminator. The police seemed to agree, and the following October, 30 detectives, followed very closely by about 500 journalists, descended upon the Hayashi home and placed handcuffs on their wrists. Masumi was charged with the four Curry murders, as well as the attempted murder of, not just the attendants of the summer festival, but a former friend and Mahjong partner who fell ill after eating Masumi's food as well as her own husband, and both were charged with fraudulent insurance claims, claiming that they were exaggerating the injuries that left them both with walking difficulties and the inability to work, and using the insurance money to indulge in their expensive lifestyle and surprising wealth. While many breathed a sigh of relief and most agreed that the Hayashis were guilty of insurance fraud, not all believed that Masumi was guilty of a potential mass murder. According to a historical sociology scholar, Hikaru Tanaka, the entirety of Japan was desperate to make sense of the mass illness, so much so that Masumi became a victim of, quote, mass hysteria, stoked by the media coverage and the general distaste for her personality and luxurious lifestyle, likening it to the witch hunts of early history. Regardless of what side you landed on, Masumi Hiyashi, overnight, 
became a media sensation, and reporters from all over descended upon the Hayashi home, stealing letters from their mailbox, climbing onto their roof, and trying to photograph their daughter's room. While the press was having a field day, Masumi was being interrogated by male detectives who were fighting tooth and nail to get a confession, or at least a motive for her crimes. Masumi, however, did not yield and remained steadfast in her innocence on all of the charges except for the insurance fraud, even fighting back against the men who were trying to intimidate her, which, of course, did nothing for her sour reputation with the public. Despite having only circumstantial evidence to back up their case, Masumi Hayashi was brought to trial and, in December of 2002, she was found guilty of murder and given a death sentence. On April 21st, 2009, her final appeal was rejected. To this day, Masumi remains steadfast in her innocence, and to this day, the investigators and lawyers in the case have no explanation for why she would want to poison her neighbors. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on April 22nd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>